This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got an heart. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. They're all gonna laugh at you. Hey, everybody. What's up? And welcome back to another episode with the Jersey Ghouls. Yes, that's right. And tonight we are actually broadcasting with a very special, well, I don't know, very special. Well, <laughs> kind of special. I, I yeah. would say being our first guest ghoul. That's right. Well, no, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> our first live in person. Okay, our not, first real. Not made up, not pretend guest ghoul. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are thrilled to have with us Joe Costal. I have to admit, you're not my first recording partner. <laughs> Back in the day, Joe was my original recording partner. Wow. Only we were, we he. And sing Hall Note songs. He was a hog. <laughs> I'm not going to say who hogged the mic, but it wasn't me. <laughs> I think you you did all right, considering that you're a little bit younger than me. I think we used to also rewrite Vincent Price's rap thriller. <laughs> I believe It Is Dark in the Woods was our greatest production. <laughs> yeah, we didn't rewrite it well. Like, we took all the same adjectives and just, like, rearranged them. So right. wherever it was dark, it was just dark in a different landscape. That's right. <laughs> Joe, would you like to tell us a little bit about oh yourself? Oh, my gosh. I never would have imagined that you guys actually record in a cemetery. This is ridiculous. This is fun, right? Yeah. We're, we're very authentic like that. Yeah. It's so it. cold and rainy. We keep it real. We do. <laughs> So, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why we roped you into being on this episode? That is a really good question. I'm wondering that myself. Actually, I am um, no, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I am a writer. Um, I write about film for a couple of different places. I taught film for seven years. Um, I grew up watching horror movies with you, which I think is probably the primary reason why I'm here. As I said before the show started, my writing career began with you and I rewriting Michael Jackson's thriller into various other subgenres. It's weird that Michael Jackson never returned our phone calls, actually. <laughs> well, when you think about it, I like to think that we invented, um, like, the fan fiction, or what do they call it, when, like, <laughs> all the people who, like, rewrite Twilight? Like, oh, yeah, the Shades of Grey? Yeah. The fan that fan type of fan fiction? Yeah. Right, right. I think we were the OGs of that, actually. <laughs> it's weird. I've never seen any royalties from having invented fan fiction. Yeah, it's funny how royalties work like that, isn't it? <laughs> But yes, uh, Joe and I go way back. We've been watching horror movies together for most of our lives. All of my life, incidentally, since he is my older yeah, brother. Full disclosure. Your entire life. Full disclosure, he's known me my entire life. Okay, so tonight we are going to be talking about The Shining. That's right. Uh, we have Marissa on one side of the scale hating this movie. We have Joe on the other side loving this movie. And I myself am in the middle. I don't hate this movie. I, I like this movie. I'll watch it when it comes on. But uh, I don't love it. I, it's, it's not in any of my top tens. It really isn't. So we're going to get a very interesting 
argumentative dynamic. So tonight we're going to cover the, obviously, the 1977 novel, where it all started. We are going to dive into the movie and also the 1998 miniseries that was um, that was done that much, much closer to the source material. That's right. And I will I will stand by that miniseries. I really liked it. I mean, the yeah, CG... Which basically means you get to watch topiary animals come to life. Yes. Which is what we're all dying for. <laughs> That's right. And in crappy 1998 CGI, too, no less. Yeah. It was, um, so you know, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. You're going to turn down a miniseries with the guy from Wings? No, never. I mean, come on. <laughs> Rebecca... That's, no, that's such a good... That's such a solid point. Yeah, I'd watch that. I'd watch that guy. <laughs> Not going to lie, though. I loved Wings. Anybody else? Show of hands. I loved Wings. Like, me and my dad God, used to, like, Wings chip. was one of the most underrated shows of that entire decade. Thank you. Me and my dad used to jam on that show all the time. We loved Wings. Such a good show. What was it, late 80s, early 90s? Or was it early 90s, I guess it was? Early 90s. We yeah, were... I, think, I think that was the problem, is it, but it kind of came out with a lot of other stuff that really dominated culture. You know, like, and it, it, I, I swear, I'm not to get all fanboy on it, Jackie, but I think it was, at, like, ahead of its time. Yeah, no, I really loved it. And it's funny to look back now and see, like, who is the really, really famous people that started there. But I digress because we as are we here often tonight, do. As we often do. So we are here tonight because we're going to talk about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Right. And just so you know, I, I'm not so crazy as to say that this movie is terrible. There's some rede- you see some redeeming qualities. Yeah, but the, there's not nearly enough redeeming to me. To make wow, this the entire mind. cinematic universe appreciates your benevolence. <laughs> As they should. It's not terrible. As they should. We should. You know, I'm wondering if I should start like the sibling tally going on. <laughs> ding. <laughs> I think we could put a little ding mark. Well, you know, if immediately following tonight's episode, we're going to have a therapy <laughs> session with Joe and Roger Ebert says, Stanley Kubrick, he's not terrible anymore. <laughs> I guess there is some redeeming quality. So I think we're ready for Jackie's synopsis. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited to be here for your synopsis. (laughs) Here's my synopsis. Because I really am. This is I'm I'm a long time listener, first time caller. (laughs) (laughs) I am such a fan of your synopsis. I don't know. You know what? I'm sitting here. I'm trying to think. I'm like, can I do this in one of those? Eh. A guy gets a job. Goes into the mountains with his family, gets nuts, starts trying to kill people. The end. No. <laughs> Please don't. Please Perfect. don't. <laughs> because your Black Christmas synopsis was subpar. I'm going to just say it. It was subpar. Like, it's like Christmas, but blacker. <laughs> it's Christmas time. Some bitches die. The end. The end. Fun fact, the, oh shit, I said fun <laughs> fact. Every time I say fun fact, that's a shot, Joe. Yeah. Um, we should have a fun fact jar. We should. We should put money in a jar every time we say fun fact, and then we can buy our own recording equipment. We could. At the end true. of this episode. Fun fact, we'd be able to afford. <laughs> so here's how you summarize the movie. You take the book and you take all of the heart and emotion and relevant thematic theme. complication out the of it, and you have the, okay. yeah, you have the movie. You like that, Joe? <laughs> I'm actually tearing up right now. Not so much because of what you said, but because of holding the phone so close to my face. I know who the diva of the family is. Don't we start the movie with him? Oh, with him him going, that's right, in the car. Get your act together. I've never seen The Shining. I don't, I don't. What? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right, do it. Come on. I I suspected that about all your synopses. So, so let's just dive right in then, okay? Let's do this. All right, Joe, I'm going to give you some... Joseph. <laughs> I'm going to give you some time to go ahead and explain why you... No, 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 no. This is your show. You have opening argument. Okay. Well, I'm going to start by saying that Kubrick is an overrated director. I'm going to suggest that he is an egomaniac whose films reflect his complete lack of human connection. I'm going to further by saying that this film, as an adaptation, which it is, and you can't strip it of that, is the worst adaptation I have seen in horror. Because this man took a brilliant, deeply, thematically, psychologically 
moving story about a family and turned it into cheap horror. Joe. Marissa, you ignorant slut. <laughs> okay, let me, there, okay, there's, I don't even know where to begin. All right, number one, yes, you are right. This is a terrible adaptation, and that would matter if it weren't one of the finest films ever made. You're insane. In any genre, ever. Now, let me begin with, with this, okay? You, you told me, you didn't mention it in your opening argument, but you had told me when we were talking about this initially, when we first realized our disconnect here, you told me that the performances really bothered you. They do. Right? I'm going to use, so you were complaining about the performances, you were complaining about the dialogue. That's, when we spoke, you didn't say it just now, when we spoke, that was a big part of your argument. Correct. So I'm going to use Jackie, since Jackie, winning Jackie's favor seems to be how we're going to, like, kind of orbit this, right? So... Jackie, do you what kinds of music do you listen to? Um, mostly like '90s grunge music. Wow, okay. <laughs> that gives me very little to work with. But uh, okay, you you listen to '90s grunge music. Perfect. Do you listen to anything that doesn't have? You ever do you listen to like classical jazz or anything like that? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Don't understand techno, electro pop. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything like that. We'll go. I I love jazz and. <laughs> okay. Wow, I'm what impressed. Your, what is your favorite piece of jazz music? Um, <laughs> probably La Vie en Rose by wow. Louis Armstrong. Oh, no, you busting out the... Beautiful. You're beautiful. a classy piece, son right? of a bitch. Go ahead. And, and Louis, I, I, I think Louis does sing in that song. Correct? Yes, he does. Okay, but I just want you to imagine just the orchestra playing behind Louis, and let's say Louis takes like 10 minutes to let them play out, almost like an overture, okay? Okay. No. Now, I want you to imagine that that I have the argument that I don't like that piece of music. I hate it, in fact. And the reason why I hate it is because I, I don't like the lyrics. And to me, that's like saying, I hate The Shining, or I don't like The Shining, or really, I don't like Stanley Kubrick, because anything that has to do with dialogues, words, screenplay, is well documented that the man didn't even, was writing the screenplay as he went through. But let's look at what was built around, this is, just simply, just absolutely and utterly, the most perfectly filmed movie that you can that you can ever put commit to print. That's a bold gorgeous. statement. It is absolutely visually. Now let's not even get into the other side of it. Visually, I go so far as to say it is nearly perfect. And watching it on Blu-ray is mind blowing. The colors. The sounds. There is not one perspective in that movie. There is not one shot that doesn't set up the narrative so unbelievably well. The narrative. I almost like can't catch my breath. The unnerving, quiet, creeping pace of everything. The stupid good uh, tracking shots. First of all, this film practically reinvents tracking. Stanley Kubrick literally hires the man who invented the Steadicam to shoot the movie. And they track shot stuff that, like, you're like, why do they even need to, to do a tracking shot? It took one full year to film this movie because every shot is so meticulous. Everything is... And is he an egomaniac? Absolutely. I wouldn't want him to be my uncle. I wouldn't want to have to spend Christmas with him. But he's a visual perfectionist, and this movie is virtually symphonic. The, the triangulation of every single shot you could turn the sound off and see the narrative play out beautifully. Every shot contains some sort of visual clue about where the theme and the and the you know the inference and the and the underlying ideas of the movie are headed. Every single one. Every time you watch this movie, you can feel someone looking over your shoulder. The low tracking shot of Daniel the Big Wheel down the down the hallway is magic. If I may, um, well, first of all, Jackie, do you have anything you'd like to? No, go ahead. Retort with? <laughs> okay, so here's what I'm going to say, Joe. Your argument about Louis Armstrong is actually the thing that I'm going to use right against you at this moment. Is this man a genius of, of, of directing cinematography and action? Sure. Is the music and audio on this film really good? Absolutely, like all of his work. But... I cannot accept all of that and tout this to be one of the greatest movies of all time when so many other elements that are undeniably ingrained in what makes a film great are missing. Stephen King himself 
is quoted as saying that this movie is like a big, beautiful Cadillac with no motor inside. Yes, you can sit in it and you can definitely enjoy how beautiful it is and the smell of the leather upholstery, but the only thing you can't do is drive it anywhere. So he says he would have done everything differently. He goes on to say that Kubrick made a horror picture without understanding the genre. Look, Jackie, I want you to do me a favor. Okay. Never take the advice of the jilted boyfriend about the, the, the quality the of the The jilted boyfriend, that's Stephen that's King now. that's what Stephen King's comments are. That's, that's Stephen absurd. Stephen King is pissed off about the way that his, his, his uh, novel is made. A beautiful novel, a, an amazing novel. A wonderful novel that is not about the same thing that The Shining is about. But then you cannot the, use The, the Shining. Shining. The novel is about a haunted house. It is about a tortured dad. It is a book that is really ingrained in the pressures of parenting and, and you know, and, and sort of being, fighting the demons of, of vice. But it is not what Kubrick's going for. So then why So then why make an adaptation of it? About it. Is Kubrick an, an a-hole? Sure. Yeah, I'm sure he didn't handle it well. But so what? It doesn't make him any less of a genius. And the, everything about what works in this movie is different than what worked in The Shining. And that's, I don't know why that's not okay. Because why, you cannot adapt something. Because you can't adapt something and do a shit job at it and then still call it a great film. I think there's an inherent Listen, problem do a there. a shit job at it? What is shit about this movie? There, how could this movie be shit? There's nothing. You haven't said no, one thing she's, yet. She's, except to say that the man who was jilted by the movie's creation also thought it was shit. Okay, what else makes it shit? Okay, you ready for what else makes it shit? Wait. Yeah, one at a time, though. Don't, don't give me a list, because my head's going to explode. Okay. So the first major issue I take with this film is his choice to take Wendy as a character and make her complete, take away everything that empowered her in the book. And his choice to take an actress that, how shall I say this delicately? Not traditionally beautiful? Beautiful, Jackie, yes. You're traditionally beautiful in my eyes. Um, to take an actress who's not traditionally beautiful and put her in this role as if to say that even her looks like being less somehow takes away from her power too. They, they, take, they take the character of Wendy, they make everything that makes her good and they strip her of all of her power. They take the character of Dick Halloran and they literally use him as like the slutty boobed girl who gets it. Like he literally just- Oh, that's not true. That's, look, I disagree. Look, the, okay, so first of all, Sh Shelley Duvall, there's a, there's a published, uh, Kubrick published his notes in The Shining. There's, there's, yeah, I'm there's these scrawled notes on the screenplay that say all this stuff about Wendy. And he lists, must be a physical presence, must, ha must be a physical match to Jack, must be able to stand up to him, but also has to be desperate. Has to be com completely and utterly believable that she has bought in to the idea of what can make Jack good. I'm going to talk less and smile more. I don't feel like I need to talk more. I feel like I need to moderate more because with me being in the middle, you know, I know okay. Joe is trying to defend, you know, the, the greatest picture ever made to me, but I feel like he needs to be more winning you over. Because like I said, I'm in the middle. I don't hate this movie. It's okay. not, you know, it's not in a top five, but I, I'm going to watch it. And again, it I'm definitely willing yeah, to. Yeah, but she and I are never going to. Marissa and I are never going to. No. We're just going to have to fight until we're done. Right. Make points. <laughs> and, no, I, and I do think I think there's something to be said for for the direction, the cinematography, and the direction in this film, and undeniably the the audio too. But a lot of that isn't necessarily. I mean, I don't know. What it's, you're gonna say? It's not Kubrick. The audio wasn't. Absolutely Kubrick. I mean, Kubrick spent three years prepping this movie. He built everything by hand. He takes these sick helicopter shots. I think my biggest gripe. I think if if he I, if he hadn't taken King's novel and tried to call it that. That's what you're hung up on. And I, and I just, I really don't, I, I'm just okay with them being different. And, and I feel like you're I'm not. harboring yeah. resentment for it. I am. I yeah. am harboring resentment. Like if he could have used any other name. Yeah. Call it something Call it the else. scary hotel story. Yeah. Call it, you know, Jack. I'm really good at naming Jack movies. goes cray cray. Right. But yeah. don't take this really beautiful. It's not like he stole it. No, and yeah, but I mean, yeah, and then refused to even look at his adaptation of it. He didn't even look at scre King's screenplay that he wrote. Instead, he hires what's her face, um, yeah, Diane. Diane Johnson. Yeah, and and has her work with him because I I just think he didn't get it. I th and I think no, there's. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's true. King wrote a, a story about a guy 
who is struggling with addiction and loses his mind in spite of his family. Kubrick creates a movie that is about evil already existing. Already, Jack, Jack is evil from the jump. Right. Jack, Jack is always going to kill his family. Which is... That, in essence, is what the movie is about. It's why he brings his family to the Overlook Motel. Hey, ho, hotel. Motel. Motel. The Overlook Hotel, because that's the point of it. Like, but, but then that's Kubrick missing that the point. Trip, that, that is ultimately what's going to happen. But then, that, to me, that's Kubrick is is thematically missing the entire point. Yeah. Like he's, he's he's he misses it. He misses the point of what Jack's story is supposed to be. And if you're going to tell Jack's story, if you're going to tell King's version, you owe it to King to at least kind of get it right. And there's a lot of other things in this film that are problematic to me. For example, um, even the exploration of the shining, I almost said the shitting and not accidentally. <laughs> um, even the exploration of the shining itself is so shallow in the movie. Like you never get into, I mean, like in the novel, it's just so beautifully explored as like he has this, I don't know, like psychic ability. And in in the film, it's just like, and even like Tony as a manifestation of his psychic abilities in the in the novel is so important. And Kubrick makes it his finger talking in like a weird voice like this. Because Tony lives in my mouth. Why in his mouth? What the fuck is wrong with this kid? In the film? Like, I'm like, yeah, Danny, you're a fucked up little shit. In the movie, in the book, you love him. You're like, well, you know what, though? Okay, I get what you're saying. And, you know, I myself am, you know, a Stephen King fangirl. And obviously, the book is better than the movie. You know, like I said, I don't don't hate the movie. I'm okay with the movie. But what you're saying, maybe he could have picked a better way to represent that. But how else visually are you going to represent tony i don't hate the whole tony finger thing so stupid i don't i don't hate that because i think as far as trying to translate it from the book to film there are limitations and i feel like that wasn't a terrible limitation when there's somebody that lives in the back of your mouth no one else can see him so <laughs> when he can't live in the see back him, of his mouth in the book no i get that but i'm saying like when you have to translate from the source material not that kubrick did a great job of it when you have to go from the source material to film you have to have his imaginary friend. And the best way to do that, you know, I, I don't hate the, the finger thing in the back of the mouth because if it's in the back of the mouth, no one knows he's there except for Danny. Just like a regular imaginary friend, no one knows he's there except him. And that's a place to put him. The finger thing is a visual thing for us as the audience to see. We can read anything and our imagination will take it places, you know. The more you know, uh, reading yeah, Rainbow. I can't imagine a premise more unfair than like you didn't explore it the way the novel did. I, I also I also don't feel like there's any way to defend this idea that King was wrong. What what I'm what I'm trying to say is that once you separate that out, um, and, and The Shining is a beautiful novel, but The Shining didn't elevate the field of novel writing. The The Shining does not mean two novels. What, what The Shining, what Kubrick's film means to film. It, it okay. doesn't innovate the, the entire industry. It doesn't innovate the art form the way this film does. And I, I think the other thing about The Shining is that Kubrick is using it differently than Kane's. I, I think that The Shining in the movie is the vehicle to which we destroy um, the madness that, that Jack has, which to me is symbolized by the fact that everything all of Jack's madness is contained in the Overlook. And, and that idea of like what, what we don't see, Jack can't see past this. He can't, he can't get beyond it. And so The Shining becomes like the foil. Like to me, this movie is The Shining as representing like clarity and perception and this extra sense of what we can see. And Wendy and Danny both get to be on the side of that and they win. You know, they, they win this, <laughs> this thing. The madness consumes and destroys Jack alone, they get out. And they win because of The Shining. The Shining is the sense. Tony's there to be that voice of- That that never comes through. Wendy. What you don't see, rah, 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 rah. you don't see the murder. You know, and so that scene where she sees it in the mirror is is dumb. Like, how do you not know? You, you could look at it and be like, oh, that's dumb. How do you, know, how do you not know that's murder? 
But what they're speaking to is the blindness you have when someone you love is is losing it like that. Um, so I don't know. No, that's actually that's actually a, a really fascinating argument. And one of the things that I, I found myself like toying with in my head was like trying to, to ask myself like, and I'll, I'll pose this question to you guys: What makes a horror movie really work for you? For both of you, what what really drives it home? Because I think part of where my argument's coming from, and I'm just going to kind of lob this up there and then ask you guys for your answers, is that I have to really have a protagonist that I am rooting for and that my heart is 100% behind. And so for me, part of, if I can get King out of the way, because you're right, I'm completely blinded by my love for the book and my love for King. So you're right, if I can try and strip that out, which I don't think I should be asked to do in an adaptation, and that's where we'll have to just like kind of agree to disagree, but if I can strip that away, I don't feel an emotional connection to any of these protagonists. And to me, it's almost like you find yourself rooting for the hotel every time. It's fun to watch this family go through this somehow. And and that's part of the problem I have with it is that with the book, I am so emotionally invested in this family and my heart is so behind Jack. Whereas in the film, Jack is this condescending douchebag. And as you've said yourself, Joe, kind of insane from the start. He He's always set out to, to go there and do this. And he's the villain. I mean, and, and in the book, the villain's the hotel. The villain is, is the evil. The villain is the madness and the addiction. But in this film, this guy calls his wife a bitch. He, he never remo- like even remotely gives any affection to anybody. Even like, I just, I could not connect. And if I can't connect in a horror story, there better be, like, I mean, I don't know. I just, I can't think of a horror movie that I love that I don't connect to the characters. So that's, that was something that I wanted to post to both of you. So what are your thoughts on that? You're not, you're not supposed to. The, I, the point of this, when I, I'll, I'll try to answer your question with this story. That when I was teaching The Shining, um, I, I read this. So Marissa, if you know where this is from, just talk over me. Because I, I don't remember exactly where, but... My students read this passage where Spielberg uh, explains why he hates the why he hated The Shining, and he told there's this great like little anecdote about Spielberg hating The Shining, not getting it. Now the other thing to remember is that this comes out in 1980, the same year as Empire, right? Star Wars and Jaws have already pretty much changed movies, right? So the the grimy sort of like realism of the 70s that you guys, by the way, not for nothing. Love could <laughs> not you have been talking built your podcast so far on is pretty much over to me. This movie is the bookend of new horror, and and it's the bookend of new horror where like sort of, like Cooper kind of climaxes this idea of like evil is just there when when Michael Myers shows up and we don't get any reason why why is that acceptable in 1970 whatever I don't know you guys are the experts what years that would be 78 okay so why is that acceptable because that's new horror. Bad crap is just real. It exists, no one's gonna tell you about it. You go to Texas, people are gonna chase you with chainsaws. It just is what it is. It's Christmas, we're gonna kill you. Bad crap is out there, deal with it. And so Jack is, like, you're not supposed to connect with Jack. Jack is a madman from the start. To me, the linchpin of the entire movie is this thing where he's like, well, that, that's not gonna happen to me. You know, oh, and by the way, everybody killed their family. Something that the Simpsons does great, where they're like, nobody here has ever not killed their family. And Homer's, you know, thinking about something else, like he's like, like humming a song in his head or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's really how it plays out in the movie. Like, you know, Nicholson said, no, not, not me. You know, that's not gonna happen to me. Yeah, it is. We can tell from the beginning. You, you treat your wife like crap. You kind of resent your son. You're gonna do this. And so at the end, when the picture's on the wall, and the picture has always been on the wall, and you say, damn, he's always been there. That's the point. And so I, I don't need to connect in films. I love this striving for ambiguity. I love this striving for the most real performance we can get. I love this idea of like the point of what the art I'm gonna create is gonna tell the most difficult thing to tell. And that is that this is an ambiguous, dirty, terrible movie about the omnipresence of evil. And uh, so to real quick to get back to Spielberg, Spielberg tells Kubrick, I don't, I don't get it and I don't like it. And Kubrick says, says nothing. So the way Spielberg explains it, like Kubrick was probably with his crazy like bed head and his like askew glasses goes, um, you know, what, what, who are your top five favorite actors? And, and Spielberg's like, oh crap, you know, I don't know. I mean, he goes, Jimmy Stewart, Cary Grant, 
Casey because that's he because he's believable. And he walks away. And Spielberg's like, all right, whatever. Stanley Kubrick, you're, you're crazy. And walks <laughs> like, away. Man, that's crazy. And Spielberg goes on to say that over the next 10 years, he watches The Shining 30 times. And by the time he's watched it that many times, he comes to the conclusion that this is an immense piece of art, a monumentally important film. And what Kubrick was trying to say to him was, just give me this, this truth, this believability. You keep Jimmy Stewart, you keep Cary Grant, you keep Hollywood in the glitz. I just want to get to this kind of real. And you guys, you know, do a good job in your first couple episodes of like explaining why that's so important cinema. Star Wars, which we all know I love, you know, I'm not gonna perpetrate, but you know, kills that because it makes going to the movies about, you know, buying Kenner dolls and about, you know, being a little kid and, and it, it kind of shifts the whole dynamic. But to me, you know, the, I'll take the 70s, American cinema of the 70s, any day. And The Shining kind of like is the, you know, it's a real like lift in that. It's the end of it, but it's, it's a kind of a fitting climax for me. Hmm. Jackie? Okay. Um, the Shining is, is not my kind of horror. At all. Thank you. Um, I, I mean, and again, it's not to say that it's bad horror, but I am very much, my personal preference of horror is give me the 80s slasher. Um, I want, you know, I, I want the, the final girl and I want the jock and I want the slutty girl and I want and the maniac. Want the <laughs> I do. I want the 80s boobs. I want the 80s boobs that have the, giant nipples. The, 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 the triangle of <laughs> not tan because they always wear the, the string bikinis yes. with the triangles. Yes. I want the triangle 80s okay. boobs. In my I movies, like that's what I like. Like I, I am very. There's totally boobs in this movie, Jack. <laughs> yeah, nice there are, boobies. There are, there and then rotting flesh boobies. Waterlogged boobies. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious, wonderful. Waterlogged boobies. No, but this is this is not like if I'm you know I went to this movie because. I like Stephen King. I like The Shining. I'll check it out. Like you know, you you hear sure. you have to watch The Shining. Everybody yeah, knows every you have to watch fan. The Shining. Sure. And again, I don't dislike this movie. I watched it. I liked it. I also enjoy a good ghost story. So this kind of had the the supernatural. I like a good supernatural element to it. Sure. If, if you're Friday night and I stroll into Hollywood Video oh, and I go for the days. and I go right to the horror section, this it, it's not going to be a movie that I pick because, like I said, I want the slasher, but. Having seen this movie, because A, you have to see it if you love horror. Like, it's just, it's one of those, you know, there's certain movies you have to see. You gotta see it. I love Stephen King. I love the book. I'm gonna see the movie. Um, Jack Nicholson, you know, it's this, this amazing performance. Um, I don't know. It. To me, I am going to this movie, I'm watching and enjoying this movie, not from the beautiful cinematic standpoint like look at that sweeping shot from over the mountain and right. here comes the overlook and you know that's that's those kind of things honestly to this day those visuals like that in that kind of movie are not what's gonna to bring Keep you me in. it is it's not and i i am with you to a degree marissa about the you know it's tough to not be rooting for anybody you know, it's right. tough to not, you know, you're not, I'm not rooting for Wendy. You know, I don't necessarily think I'm rooting for obnoxious. Danny, you know, but at the same time, I don't need that in every movie. I mean, there have been plenty of movies where I've been disappointed because the good guy won at the end. Like I was rooting yeah, for the bad do. guy. There's been quite a few movies where you've got So it's like, to me, it's not a terrible thing in the movie that, you know, I mean, the Overlook wins. I mean, okay, fine, Wendy and Danny get away, but the Overlook gets Jack, right. like it always wanted. But they, uh, yeah, yeah, although I but guess- it doesn't I mean, want Jack. It, it wants, wants Danny. Jack's but job is to get them. I mean, that's very clear. Jeeves tells them that. You're Jeeves. failing at doing this. I mean, the, the ghosts come and say, remember when they have to get him out of the freezer? <laughs> you know, they're like, like you're whenever ghosts up. get me from the freezer, first of all, I'm, I'm upset. You know, to begin with, but they're kind of on the set. They're kind of messed up. They're like, you're not doing this. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't think the over. I think the overlook has always had Jack. That I think that's what the last shot teaches us. Yeah. They Wendy and they wanted Danny, but all they got was Scatman Crothers. Which, if you ask me, I don't know. I take one Scatman Crothers for any day. Shelly Duvall and little little boy actor. In that, in that, we 100% agree, Joe. Um, 
The, well, I get. I mean, maybe I am like the the Capra Spielberg of horror because I I do. I, I and even the slashers. I I don't. I'll never pick up a slasher fl- flick over something you know else. And and I will go. I will go to my to my grave, which may be sooner rather than later for coming out as someone who doesn't like the the shining in the horror world, but I'll go to my grave saying that being able to connect and have somebody to root for is what keeps me coming back because it can be as real as the day is long as Black Christmas and Halloween and Exorcist and all of those great films show us. But if I'm not rooting for somebody for the good to overcome the evil, then I, 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 I totally, I totally hear you. You're right. And this movie doesn't have anything you can sink your teeth into. I would go so far as to say this movie is not a good character. There's, there's nothing character-driven about this because I, I really think that each character is just standing for the metaphor. Yeah. But and, and so you're right. And, and I, you know, it's not a it's not a popcorn. Like I, I I don't even I wouldn't say this is one of my favorite movies because it's just so hard to watch. It's so yeah. That's part of yeah. It's so slow. There's no act structure at all. So another question that I would, and I agree, I agree with you, Joe. I think that's that's definitely it's true, and it is unnerving. For as much as I talk a talk about it, like it's it's a movie you kind of have to buckle in and get. Like usually, I look forward to watching and rewatching the movies for this for the episodes, and this one I just kind of dragged my feet on because I know it gets in my head, especially this time of year, which is why I think it's so perfect to uh, to to throw it out there in the dead of January. But. Um, the other question I have for you guys is to, to really kind of look at this through the, the perspective of a feminist uh, podcast, because to me, there's just so many things that are giant question marks, and I just wanted to throw them out there to you guys. Like, the first and most important thing that I, I rack my brain around all the time when I look at this film is Kubrick's use of porn. Like, Jack literally is sitting reading a Playboy on the day that they arrive. A Playgirl. Play. No, really? That's even better. Yeah, it's it's a, it's uh, what uh, you know whatever. Playgirl is uh, is boys, right? Right, correct. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's. So I've uh, heard. <laughs> oh well, there's the 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 picture behind Holleran's bed. Yeah, right. There's the pictures, and then there's another instance where there's oh, there's like a calendar. There's like a softcore porn calendar at some point in the film that right. that they like flip through. And so and then my, the furry. And then the furry, right? There's actually a lot of now that we're looking at it, there's a lot of homosexual undertones to this film as well then, huh? I, I'm curious to look at the like to kind of look at this lens this from the lens of both homosexuality as well as and maybe we're not qualified to talk about it because we're all heterosexuals in the room. Possibly. But I mean there's something to be said for all that. So what are our thoughts? Anybody come up with any you know, because I, I look at this film as a completely misogynistic, very anti-feminist film. And the only thing that made me take pause to that was your comment before about victims. And Right. Know. No, I um, I am very close with someone who spent a couple of years living with an alcoholic. And uh, she, she was very much uh, a victim. And through seeing what she went through and, you know, speaking with her and knowing, you know, her experience from what she had told me, I see a lot of that in Wendy. I see a lot of having to, having to walk on eggshells because when you wake up in the morning, you know, you don't know what their mood is going to be. You don't know. They might be hungover. They, they might still be drunk, you know, like you, you have to be so careful because you just want to get through your day. You don't want another argument. You don't want another explosion. I just, you know, you want to just get through your day as calmly as possible. You're, you know, in Wendy's situation, she's in a place where there is no escape, you know, like she's at the overlook. That's it, you know, especially when the snow comes, there's no getting out. So yes, you have this extremely large and extravagant hotel to be in, and sure, you can be on one end while he's on the other, but I mean, it's Jack going crazy, and you hear him, you know, throwing the ball around, typing on the typewriter, screaming, you know, doing his whole crazy thing. You know, when you are in that situation, it's just one of those, like, I don't know how to to best explain it. You, you just want to keep the peace as much as humanly possible. And sometimes when you're in that situation, you can't. So you will purposely hold back. You'll walk on eggshells. You will be a yes man just to avoid any further confrontation that you know is going to come anyway. But maybe if you kind of just, you know, placate his feelings for a little bit longer, you can put that explosion off for an hour or two. I, I think that's so powerful, Jackie. It's so true. And such a great point. But to me, also, the 
power of uh, Shelly Duvall's performance because I think that the doe-eyed naivete to me works because I, I believe that you make concessions when you have this force in your life and you love it and you are committed to keeping this dynamic of the family together. And, and you know, Marissa, you were making the point before that she's so hard to root for because she's just so, she represents that thing that is not attractive. And I don't mean attractive to speak of physical aesthetic at all. I'm talking specifically about the way she responds. It, it's not, but to me, it's it's real. Um, and I think that your point is is, is so valid. I, to, to speak to the, the homosexuality in the movie, I, I think that, that the movie is about this, so it's the folly of, of white. The, what, the way the white man feels repressed. I love that. No, I do. I think yeah, I, no, I think you're right. Like so Jack, you know, Jack calls... Because he calls it the white man's burden, too, right? Absolutely. He, he calls Wendy the sperm bank upstairs. Um, he says he's, like, lost his job. You know, the writing is, like, the last-ditch effort and him sort of making a life for his family... There's a lot of, of this idea of what, you know, white America is being, what's being pressed upon the white male. I have to support these two. I have to take care of the sperm bank upstairs. I have to, you know, I have to do all these things. And then at the beginning, you're just supposed to you. And not me, you know, that's not me. I'm not gonna kill my wife. I, I love you guys. I'm so happy here. It's the Overlook Hotel. You know, he doesn't see A, that he's full of crap. None of that stuff is real repression. It's not a real burden. And, and, you know, I don't want to get too crazy with the, the metaphor of it, but I think that that's why there's the homosexual imagery. Because like the tribal Native American icons that are everywhere, it's supposed to be kind of pointing out that, um, you know, the way in which the sort of repression is sort of kind of drummed up in his mind. And he uses it as an excuse for his madness the entire time. Um, you know, which I think is kind of feeds into the overall point of, of what the movie's trying to say. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's I think that's awesome. I think that's absolutely true. I want one of the other things I was going to bring up with this was this notion of like the white man's burden and the rich guy's, uh, you know, the hard knock life of the rich white man. Um, so yeah, no, that's 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 perfect. Um, let's see. You know, how perfect for today too? Because oh god, this, yeah. Like this country right now, I don't want to hyper politicize these Jersey Bulls. No, it's okay. Don't you feel like we're in the Overlook Hotel? <laughs> I'm going to have to go ahead and politely disagree there, Joe. feminist horror I think of you know female characters who represent 
or who are a, a woman who is complex and not just under the, like uh, victimized by a man in one way shape form or another because i think that we, we as women spend our whole lives trying to escape that that trap and I think that when I look at my horror films, if I'm looking at it with my feminist lens, I'm going to look for people like the, you know, characters who are either empowered by the horror or the supernatural, which I, I just don't see her as being, yes, she hits her husband on the head with a bat. And yes, she claws at, at the door with a knife when he comes knocking. But short of that, I just don't see how she, in the film version at least, comparatively speaking with with the, the book in which she really does face her him very... I mean, because that's part of the problem with Jack in the film is that there is no redeeming human being to try and stick with. In, in the book, there's this really good guy in there. And there's a guy who's an active, reco like, recovering addict. And he's doing everything in his power to stay clean and stay straight. And in the book, if you'll remember, he winds up, like, they wind up getting him drunk for, for like, whatever, with whatever supernatural powers they have to make their own Go ghost here. moonshine. <laughs> um, but, like, to me, I just, I feel like I, I can't look at Wendy as a good representation of a feminist. Jackie, what? I'm terrified of being on the, the side against feminism here. I, I hope that... In the, in the watch, this doesn't come out that way because because I, I could not, you know, agree with you more that we need more empowered central female characters. But I, I just don't see why the awakening of this character. I I just don't see where where she awakens. Physical, it's not a testament to the triumph of everything that is feminine. She she engages him and keeps him away from Danny. She gives Danny the tools for which to escape. Danny represents the clarity of thinking that will ultimately save them both from this. She beats Jack, and she just can't beat the Overlook. And that's because Overlook is evil. Jack is just its, its minion. He's just its representation on their personal level. But, you know, the Overlook represents all that's bad and wrong. See, I think that she spends most, most if not all of the film being victimized either by her husband, the hotel, or by pure circumstance. And, and I fail to see how one act of physical self-defense constitutes her as a, as a feminist character. And I think that like- Because I, because I don't think you're giving credence to what the movie's saying. That's what I'm saying. I, don't I think, think the movie's saying that fight or flight kicked in. I think if Jack represents white impact, you said before that when, um, what's Gatman Crothers character name? Dick Halloran. What is it? Dick Halloran. Uh, Dick, is that what you said? Yeah. You, you made the, the comment before that he comes running and he gets killed right away like he's um like he's the big boob. I forget what, what point you made. He, like that he just serves as like extraneous like, you know, like a, to a character that's just can be chucked to the side. No, I mean, right. And, and so I don't, I don't think that at all. I think his death is, is the, first of all, it's the only death that Jack's able to pull off, right? Right. Yes, yeah. So, so I mean, he, that's the only time he can really succeed. And, it is to, and I don't think there's any uh, mistake. I don't think there's any uh, sort of um, sort of looking for. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that the role is played in that way. You know, I, I think that he because this is a, a movie that to me is about this privilege that that the white man thinks he has. The, 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 right, and that he exerts the over the female. And blame these sort of repressions for why he can do what he wants. And, and, and at no point does she... And that's and, why Jack's there, and that's why he drags his family there. And Wendy and Danny can rise above it with the help of this, the Shining. See, I don't think that at any point in the film does she come... Like, does she establish that she will rise above it or not tolerate it or be in direct opposition to it? What happens is her fight-or-flight survival instinct kicks in, which is basically just a happy accident that would happen to any character, regardless of, of their gender. I don't see it as her big transformation into an empowered woman. I see her as someone who's desperate to survive and fumbles around the rooms until she happens to find the exit where her son has outwitted has outwitted the villain. And she just kind of, the only thing she does is drive the damn snowcat away. So to me, I, I just don't see how the fact that she has this basic carnal instinct to survive in a moment of crisis makes her a feminist character. And the problem, the inherent assumption that you're operating with is that a woman has to like, you know, like they have to have that awakening 
in order to like she shouldn't have to have that awakening the second he he treats her like shit which is from the get-go is when in my head a feminist character is gonna be like what i'm sorry what the fuck did you just say and that's gonna happen in 1978 if you're looking at a feminist lens or in modern day because in films like you know halloween and the exorcist and i know i keep going back to these same ones but the female characters from the get-go assert themselves as intelligent and dignified women who aren't gonna allow the victim the, you know themselves to be victimized without a fight and wendy just because she like i just feel like she spends most of the movie being victimized and her escape is a happy accident that is mostly driven by her son's wit and the shining and so to me, and, and I promise I like I, I respect your point in arguing for her as a feminist character, but I and I and I would never make you look like you're anti-feminist. You wouldn't be on this podcast if you were. But I think I think it's there's problems in in both sides of our argument here. Jackie, what's your take? I don't know. I, I was kind of thinking about it and then listening to both of your points. I'm I'm kind of torn where I stand, and and our listeners know that where where Marissa is our champion of women and is our feminist, I am the one that's not at all. <laughs> which which I I'm never yeah. thrilled to hear you say that. I know. Jackie. I don't like it hurts to say my that heart. I know. <laughs> so for me, I'm never looking at a movie. You know, okay, it's got a strong female character. Well, how big is the knife that's going to go through her, or is she going to be the final girl? Like, that's, that's why we make. Thought. Yeah, that's why yeah. we make a good team. We do. Like I'm really not thinking about her. You know, what is her character's choices, and you know, is she making a choice that a strong female should make or shouldn't make? Yeah, like. Um, you know, is she gonna fall down when she runs away from him, or is she gonna like make it up the stairs this time? Like, so it's tough for me to really comment on that one because I'm never looking at it from that angle. But I, it, it, it kind of just cracks me up that we have this complete role reversal where Joe is arguing for like, yeah, feminist, yeah, feminist powerful yeah, empowerment, yeah. and Marissa's poo pooing on it. I know. It. I kind of love it. I kind of am just sitting back eating popcorn. And I hate to bring this up, it. Jackie, because I know how you feel about it. But if you want to think in terms of what my hallmark for a feminist, a true feminist character looks like, look no further than Ripley. I'm sorry. No, I'm it's sorry. fine. I, you know what? I can fully accept that it's me versus the world on that one. No, it's, no. Hey, it's me versus the world on The Shining. So yeah, I think it's no, your turn can, next it's, time. It's my turn. I know. I know. And and our, our audience will be treated to this abuse that I'm going to take. Um, I'm one of those people that Alien is not a horror movie. We haven't really discussed very much as far as the the miniseries. And we did talk about it a little in the beginning, how okay. we're going to touch on all three. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe we can just quickly talk about how the miniseries that came out in 1998 mm-hmm. was, uh, the screenplay was actually done by Stephen by King. By Stephen King. So we had those of us that clamored for more of the source. TV. I have 97. 97? Okay. Yeah, yeah 1997. Sorry. No, that's okay. Thank you. Um, those of us that watched The Shining and, you know, were, you know... The ending was different, and this was different, and that was different. We got to see what, what King, would King have done, wanted to do. What King wanted to do originally, we got to see in this miniseries. And obviously, when you compare the miniseries to Kubrick's film, you know, like oh, yeah, we're talking about you might as well, yeah. It, it's 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 so completely different. It's never going to be on the same level. Uh, as, as the movie, but you know, for those of us who you know, and I know I can speak for myself and Marissa, who are the King fangirls, you know, we really like the miniseries because it is so faithful to the uh, source material. Because we get to see Jack not be the villain the whole entire time. That was like the one thing, uh, you know. Again, Kubrick's movie is fine. I really don't have that many issues with it. It's, you know, again, it's not going to be on any top 10 list, but when it comes on, you know, AMC's Fright Fest, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> you know, I, I own it. I do own it. Now, I will say I don't own it because I went out and bought it. It came in a, uh, a box set that I have of uh, Stephen King movies, so I do own That's it. That's actually pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. Um, but yeah, the miniseries, uh, just, just so much more faithful, obviously, with King's uh, screenplay. The acting was okay. It hey, listen, it I, I, like, I like me some Rebecca De Mornay. Yeah, no, I, I don't really have a problem with it. Um, but again, I okay, think I do pitch- have an issue. The kid who played Danny, I'm not gonna lie, for whatever reasons, I kind of wanted to punch him in the nose. <laughs> In the miniseries. In the miniseries. Yeah, do you have anything you want to say about the miniseries, Joe? 1997, Shining, with, uh, what's-his-face and what's-her-face? 
Uh, Stephen Stephen Weber, Steven Weber Rebecca and Rebecca DeMornay. And what's the kid's name? The kid is named Cortland Mead. He's not the kid from he's not the kid from Who's the Boss. His name is Cortland Yeah, look Mead. at him now. He's just as wonky. Danny Pink Danny Pimporo, I think is the name of the kid from Who's the Boss. Yeah, no, that's it's not, not it's him. not the yeah. You, no, you're thinking of no, you're, you're thinking, thinking of Cujo. Cujo. <laughs> he's good at that actually though. Who, the kid? Yeah, and Cujo, I said, I yeah. I agree. I think, and I think it really stands up to the, to the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. But I mean, the, I don't know that the book is as good as like The Shining. And yeah, no, that's very true. Very true. Ooh, Pet Cemetery is another. We should just do like a whole well, month like, of they Stephen also King. Oh, I love this. I'm. You know what? I don't know how you tackle the sword. You want to talk about difficulty of tackling swords? Oh my god! I am super excited. I am reading The Stand for the first time right now. Um, I got a Kindle for my birthday in July, and the very first book I downloaded was The Stand, and I am about seventy-five percent through the book. It's taking me forever because sometimes I read one page and fall right asleep. I cannot wait to watch the movie again after having read it. I'm I super so excited. Watch. I watch. So I will watch. I look for any excuse I to watch really that I really enjoyed reading the book so far, and I'm super, super excited to watch. I haven't seen The Stand in probably a, a couple of years, so I'm, like, I honestly don't remember how it ends. Like, that's how Aww, long it's been. Yeah. But I don't want to remind myself, because I want to read it and then go back and see. Yeah, I am very excited later. for that one. I love that. The Stand is so sick and good. I want to punch myself. Becky, I'm going to let you do this because you have your good radio voice. Tell them about the bracket and how stoked we are and how our special guests are going to be popping in for that. It's going to be it's going to be so exciting. I cannot wait. And this is going to be something. Like, when it's finally said and done, like, please know, listeners at home, this has been weeks. A labor of love for of all of works us. For all of us to do. Deciding what movies. What is really fun is we all collectively decided on the movies, but uh, Marissa Marissa is going to be hosting. That's right. Myself and Joe and our, uh, our friend Nate will be uh, we are going to be deliberating. We are going to be making the choices and we are not, we, Br- Marissa has made the bracket. We're, we don't want to see it. No. Nope. It's going to be, when you hear our answers, it's going to be our genuine on the spot decision of do you like this movie or this movie what moves forward and i'm actually building a steel cage in my backyard <laughs> because i i'm i'm almost i'm almost sure oh yeah that's true that's where that's where i keep that um actually i yeah yes Yes. Dude, can we have? I think we yep. need to have. I think what's going to happen music. Joe, is between you and me when it comes down to Alien and Jaws, there's going to be a chairs and ladder match. Especially because she <laughs> says Jaws with a South Jersey accent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right, Jackie. Um, That's John. Jaws. I used to think it was called George. <laughs> I did. I called him George. But you <laughs> call him Jean. That Jean. <laughs> Jean Valjean. I liked him. George. I thought his name was George. Um, I think George is a better name than Jaws, personally. <laughs> yeah, it makes I stand sense. by it. Yeah, and, and my girls now like to say that and tell that story because Joe's so fond of that story that they say now when they're in the pool that they want to play George like Bobby did. I know. I was adorable. What happened? <laughs> um, so yeah, so we are gonna I think I want you both to pick a theme song too. Because I think whenever like something epic happens, I'm gonna play your guys' theme songs, like <laughs> to introduce you and what have whatnot. Um, but we have some really great films and I can't wait to watch you three duke it out because I gotta tell you some of these picks, man, looking at my bracket, I just I get like worked up over the thought of one of the films losing. Like some of it yeah. is gonna be so hard. Yeah, and you know what? It's it's gotta be, you know, I, I think we need to put the ground rule out there. It's not what is you know the better movie you know what was more financially successful or whatever it is what movie do you like better yeah you know what do you like better so if it's because you know, i would coming take down waxworks me, over friday the 13th 
any yeah. day. Dude, you want to put Halloween up against Monster Squad? What do you think is going for? Oh, hell yeah. You know? Oh, and you know what? It pained me to place certain movies that I know that you guys love. Like, it pained yeah. me to, to place, like, Monster Squad. And yeah. to place, like, Joe, like, any time I placed Romero, it was with such trepidation. Because I just know that, like, there's just movies that we all love for whatever reasons. Yeah. And, like, no, yeah. I am so excited because I also know, and, and Marissa knows this about me, and I, Joe will come to learn this about me, that I am... I I don't even know what the word to describe me. I'm a, I've got words to describe. I think the word that I used in one of my blogs was I'm a pretentious turd. You like, are. I am a big turd when it comes to movies. So I'm going to be the one that's like, no, I don't like that movie. It right. was stupid because that person has blue eyes and I don't like them with blue eyes. No, like I really am. Like, and I, I'm working on this podcast. This whole Jersey Ghouls adventure is helping me be less of a pretentious turd when it comes to movies. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm opening my mind to things. I am not going to dismiss something simply because it's a remake. But I sort of also think that things like The Shining, you know, they might actually be better films. Right. So what do we do? How do you, how do you, you know, kind of bracket that out? It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I get that. Because, like, if I were sitting in just a film class, I think I, I wouldn't even think twice about, like, touting Kubrick, which I hate to say out loud because there's so much about him I can't stand. But, like, if from from the, the sitting in the chair of the Jersey Ghoul, I, I can't. I can't get behind the movie. And it's, it is. You're right. It's really hard to kind of make those distinctions for yourself. Right. I love the movie, but it's hard to say that that's your favorite movie. Not right. Like, weirdo. Like, what's your problem? Like, you like feeling... I know. So. No, any like yeah, anybody that would say that Hostel is their favorite horror Ooh. movie, yeah. What is I your punch that what is, is your face. malfunction? Seriously, you, you need not, help. I enjoy the Saw films. <laughs> um, lo- the last house on the left really warms my cockles. This Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, no, yeah, you're right. Because, like, and there, like it's, there's even movies that I will not deny that they don't have their place in the canon, but goddamn, you couldn't pay me to watch it again. Yeah. Like, I spit on your grave. Oh, or, like, that's so true. You know, like, and I would argue for them. I would defend them as good, good horror movies, but dang, I never want to go through that again. I actually ordered a, uh, a taser on <laughs> Amazon so that if any of you ta- try to talk no, over me. You go like you ordered a taser. <laughs> we can just put Fee's collar on. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm going to put a shock collar for the dog on each of you. And if at any point you misbehave, I'm just going to... Uh, tell you what their goals. There's some Cinderella's who are going dancing when I get my hands on this bracket. That's all I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta tell you, yeah, there's, there's, I'm gonna be really excited when there's like two amazing movies and two total pieces of shit in the last <laughs> round because of the way the bracket's made. And it so helped me if any of you yell at me for the bracket. Like, I, I have a couple that I feel like are gonna be like the Oral Roberts or the like Northern <laughs> Illinois of the Jersey Ghouls, uh, Mark Madness. Oh, it's gonna all, be it's gonna be so I'm much fun. Is Child's Play two for the win? Jesus Christ! <laughs> can't take you anywhere. This is why we can't if, have nice if things. We win if Child's Play two wins our bracket. I'm officially disbanding the show because we owe it to our audience. <laughs> um, all right. So, well, first of all, Joe, we'd like to take a minute to thank you for being on our show tonight, taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us for some BSing and some good arguing about yeah. the shinning. Oh, I am so, I can't even describe how happy I am to be one of the ghouls. I, I mean. Whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't say we were letting you in. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, girls. I just want to remind your listeners to check me out, jocostyle.com. I have a new blog called Daddy Film School, where I subject my kids to really old movies, record their reactions, and hilarity ensues. Uh, you can read my articles about pop culture and movies and books at quirkbooks.com. I'm at jocostyle at Twitter. Um, and finally, uh, if you are in the South Jersey area, please consider coming out to Stockton University. The third Thursday of every night, I host a write-in for Murphy Writing Seminars. You can check that out at stockton.edu or at murphywriting.com. That's the Hamilton campus of Stockton University on Front Street 
or you know just uh, shoot me a message on Twitter if you're interested in coming. Thank you so much everybody for coming out. We are thrilled to be presenting our a whole bunch of great content coming up in the winter and we are especially stoked for this bracket. So I'm actually going to post the bracket the day that we record so that you guys can get a jump start on picking your own movies to see where we land versus you guys. So that should be super cool. Um, Jackie, go ahead. Take it away. <laughs> Do your thing. Don't fuck up this time. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Don't be useless. Wait, uh, give me give me three seconds because I have to remember how I was rehearsing it. Oh, bye bye. Red, better yellow. Yeah, you're getting it, girl. You're like the Don Pardo of this operation. <laughs> You can find us online, just search Jersey Ghouls. We are Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. And of course, you can find us on our blog at jerseyghouls.com. Look for articles and pictures and videos and quirky little horror things that come out of our scary little brains. That was actually really good. Hey-o. Hi-o. I had to hold my breath. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you, guys. And have a safe and wonderful and, and happy and joyful month of January. And always remember, no, <laughs> no TV and no beer make Marissa something something. Go crazy. Don't mind if I do. listening to the Geekscape Network.